This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai, in Fakatani, Kia ora Mawera. Kia ora Sam, how's it going? It's going very well indeed. And we're joined today by Richard Mitchell, our colleague from Otago Polytech. Welcome Richard. Kia ora Sam, how are you? Very well indeed. Did you enjoy the weekend? I very much enjoyed the weekend. It was um, it was fantastic to get down to Forsyth Bar Stadium and... Uh, Watch the Highlanders take the game in the last minute. It was um, yeah, it was an exciting game, and uh, my daughter and I enjoyed being able to get back out and uh, do one of those uh, father-daughter bonding things that we do on a regular basis. was kind of surreal yeah it was very surreal um the last time that my daughter and i were in the stadium she was being tested for covid19 so it wasn't quite as surreal as that moment but uh it uh, it was it was certainly surreal being surrounded by people once again and uh to have uh, everyone cheering and screaming for i think for the team but also for the the team of five million that uh, got us to the point where we can do this once again and even the Grant Robertson's speech at the start, which political speeches at a football game never go down well, seemed to be appreciated. It was, it was a poignant, poignant moment. Yeah, very much so. Um, I hadn't realised he was a King's High School old boy, actually. Um, actually went to university with him uh, in the 90s. Um, so um, not not in the same classes, but uh, certainly he was, he was quite prominent in political circles in those days. Um, but yes, um, not often that you that you hear a cheer at the end of a political speech at a, at a rugby game. So how was the lockdown for you, your bubble? Um, it was actually quite nice just to be at home with the family. Um, actually, the best thing about being at home in a bubble um, was that once we were able to get out and about and go for a walk, I was able to walk along um, Balmacoon Golf, of course. It's such a beautiful spot. <laughs> it's closed to the public most of the time. Um, so we, 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 we actually went every day for, for a walk along uh, the golf course and looked at the vistas and uh, went searching for mushrooms and caught up with the, the local native birds. And, yeah, it was awesome. Um, I spent the time um, 
teaching, but also just just reconnecting with a bit of nature and going for walks and those sorts of things. Uh, and in fact, started training again. Um, to the point where I've I'm, pro- I'm going to say it on here. On my fiftieth birthday, I'm going to run a half marathon. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is a big call. Um, How about I not say why, that? Yeah, well, you go on. You can join me, Sam. <laughs> I don't think so. I can do it in the water. Yeah, I know you can. Um, yeah, so the Mount Cook Marathon just happens to be uh, on the same uh, the same day as my fiftieth birthday. So. I've started training for that. I've done, oh, it'll be my 22nd or 23rd half marathon, so it's, it's nothing. And you live at the top of a hill, so it's training whichever way you go. Yeah, that's right. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So lockdown was good because it got me off, off my butt, actually, <laughs> which is really um, quite the opposite of what most people <laughs> probably did during lockdown. And did you get some work done? Yeah, not not the research work. Um, my head wasn't in, really in the space for for writing, but um, but certainly uh, teaching master's students and then in the, in, during May uh, teaching our third year students in the Bachelor of Culinary Arts. Got uh, plenty of work done with them. Uh, moving online is a is a is an interesting space to be in with teaching, definitely. But your teaching was already relational. Yes, yeah, indeed. So, so um, a lot of it's one-on-one kind of stuff at year three, and certainly at masters level. Um, so, lots of dialogue, um, lots certainly with the master student. Lots of them driving the the content, if you like. Um, uh, and it just so happens that um, pre-lockdown, we were talking about many of the things that have uh, uh, have become quite prominent in um, in the post-COVID environment. Uh, certainly things around regenerative design um, are writ large <laughs> everywhere at the moment. So um, yes, the students, uh, it couldn't be a better laboratory, let's put it this way, for, for, for thinking around regenerative approaches to things. Let's have proclaimers, I'm gonna, in honour of your half marathon, let's have 500 miles. <laughs> when I wake up
Do you know lots about hospitality and tourism? I do. So How are those sectors going? Uh, so uh, in Dunedin, the hospitality sector seems to have bounced back really, really well, uh, for now at least. Um, so a lot of places are reporting that they're busier than they were um, prior to lockdown. Um, lots of people getting out and about and um, uh sharing a coffee with each other, um, lots of people buying local. There's a really clear shift towards um, things like local bakeries um, and people re-engaging in, in, new, in new audiences and new customers for those people. Um, so hospitality in Dunedin seems to be doing quite well. Uh, obviously, in places like Queenstown and Wanaka, it's, um, it's a bit patchy. Um, weekends are, are, are very busy. Uh, but um, during the week, it's it's yeah, it's a bit patchy. Um, but yeah, I'm aware of a new business that opened um, on Queen's birthday weekend in Wanaka, and uh, she's she's doing she's doing really well. Um, so surprisingly well in, in terms of the hospo side of things. Uh, tourism is in Dunedin. That seems to be quite optimistic. Um, I've been working with. Um, the um, Enterprise Dunedin um, just exploring regenerative tourism and, and design tools for, for regenerative business. Um, and I've attended a couple of online meetings um, and seem to be quite positive in Dunedin. Um, so, yeah, surprisingly so. Uh, not so reliant on the international market here in Dunedin, but um, certainly they've noticed a significant drop-off in the wake of COVID. So what's this regenerative design and how is it applied to hospitality? Uh, so regenerative uh, design uh, is, a, is a principle that's mostly applied to uh, agriculture and food production. Um, 
and it takes a systems approach to uh, problem solving, uh, but also it, it goes back to what, what are the uh, foundational systems that uh, allow an, human activities to, to um, continue and thrive and actually give back to to the natural systems. So in agriculture, for example, the key system, the key life-giving system is soil. Uh, if you transfer that over to thinking around tourism and hospitality, uh, it's the natural environment, the natural um, wildlife um, scenery, um, the natural ecosystems are part of uh, those systems that help help those industries thrive, but also local communities. Um, so it's that how can uh, an industry assist those life-giving systems, uh, in particular community, community in tourism involves a wider community and hospitality. There's now, now a lot of discussion around uh, workers and uh, the uh, need for a fundamental shift in the way um, uh, workers who are part of that thinking around essential community systems, um, how we reboot, <laughs> completely reboot or perhaps even rebuild uh, build from scratch a system that's uh, fairer for workers and uh, provides um, provides a sustaining and thriving system for for those people. So the, the, those kind of conversations were being had prior to the COVID pandemic, but now they're really forefront. They're, they're at the forefront globally. Um, we're seeing lots of discussions around the reinvention of the restaurant model um, because restaurants uh, have been directly impacted around the globe. Um, and what's happened is that uh, people have seen how quickly that impact has uh, exposed the the fragility of the system that the, that they operate in. So that that that's everything from food supply chain to to the human systems to um, communities that um, rely on these ca- these restaurants and cafes. So um, there's been a really strong global shift and there's lots of commentary from some industry leaders around the world and you can talk about the the, the metaphor being based on soil because you might have a geography yes. degree yes i might <laughs> <laughs> but the restaurateurs don't do, do they no. get it um oh, oh yeah it was when when I stopped talking, that there was one of the things that I that I thought that that actually that they they get the enormity of the problem and the complexity of the systems, but breaking it down into workable tools and workable approaches to things is, is the bit that is quite difficult for any industry. To be honest, it's the same if you talk to a farmer about regenerative agriculture unless you're in it and you see the systems and you understand and you shift the thinking um it's really hard to see it because it 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 can all be it can all seem far too hard because like like the soil with the soil metaphor it's all the unseen bits and pieces it's all the microbes it's all the connections between things that become complicated so one of the things that um i presented to um uh 
uh, Enterprise Dunedin was just a, here's some tools that we can use that come from design. Um, uh, they're not they're not a panacea, but they're just a different way of thinking about um, doing business and, and being um, part of a wider system. And I've been working with the Master of Design Enterprise students for them to develop a a pretty a low level sort of design service that um, can help tourism and hospitality businesses to to implement some of those tools. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orakunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou kotahuho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved bubbles. And I'm so grateful and so honoured and excited to have more time with you. Thank you for having me. And I really hope that for all of you, as we move through these different phases of being together, from lockdown level four, level three, level two, and now level one, that you're finding many ways to care for yourselves and others to support your journey together. Now, I know for me that having launched back into consensus reality as we know it and as we are all contributing and co-evolving together within, I am having to really learn some new skills in terms of supporting myself to remember all of these various skills that I had previously been using constantly and had no issues with remembering. So my beautiful consciousness having been enjoying a different pace of life or a different context in which to use my skills is now enjoying the challenge of being back in this busy world populated with many beautiful people and I'm remembering those skills that previously really helped me out. So I hope that for you, you're remembering all the skills that you possess. And we have all come onto this beautiful paradise planet, obviously with new and different skills to share. And throughout our lives, we're developing new skills all the time. We know that neurogenesis is taking place constantly throughout our life. We're making new connections and new pathways in our brain so that we can do new things. And when we sleep, these connections and these pathways are strengthened depending on where we place our attention and our time and energy, our thought and our intention. So for me, I'm remembering these skills from my life pre-lockdown, but I'm also remembering a lot of the beautiful lessons that lockdown really shared with me, which is, of course, to remember many of the aspects of our true nature that I feel were revealed to us at that time. That we are a triumph of nature's art first and foremost. We are a beautiful, living, breathing human animal connected to all other life in an infinite web. And we are here possessing of a consciousness that allows nature to perceive itself. We are here as kaitiaki, we're here to help and protect the real world, the natural world, the living world that gives us life, of which we are an inseparable part. So part of what I'm doing now as I return to consensus reality is I'm starting to work with school groups again in person, which is really exciting. And today I'm off to work with Māori Hill School who are coming forward in this role as kaitiaki and they're thinking about 
caring for native birds at their school. So it's really exciting for me to be back doing this work that is my absolute heart's home and passion. And I really hope that for all of you, as you're returning to your work in real life, interacting with other people, that you're feeling this sense of homecoming and belonging and remembering the passion and the joy that you find in your work. I also think that it's really important, and I know that I'm enjoying doing this, that we acknowledge the journey that we've all been on together, whoever we're working with, and give them the opportunity to share and express what they have learned and how they feel now that we're all back together again. And I'll be doing this with the children in a supportive way today, and I've talked with their teachers about that beforehand. Because, of course, each and every one of us have learned something different and have different wisdom to share around this journey that we've been on. And part of us coming back together again, of course, is the opportunity to remember that we work best when we give everybody the opportunity to share and contribute their knowledge and understanding to our co-evolution. So I hope that you're being given the opportunity to share and teach and listen and learn in whatever context you're finding yourself returning to. And I hope that you're being given many opportunities for the best aspects of yourself to come forward to nurture and care and protect the beautiful world that surrounds us. And I'll look forward to speaking to you all tomorrow. Thank you so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Richard Mitchell from Otago Polytechnic. You're talking about regenerative design in, in hospitality. Is it is this an opportunity to, to do things? Is it a crisis that's forced different thinking? Is, is it desperation? Uh, Where, where's the driver for it? Uh, look, as I mentioned before, uh, there, there were these conversations that have been kind of bubbling away under the surface for well, maybe five years now. Um, but what's, what, what the pandemic has identified is that actually uh, we can't wait any longer to, to change these things. That They have to fundamentally change. The, um, certainly internationally, things like wages for workers um, have been highlighted as being a problem for some time. But because, because all of the... Because the system was the system, and it was it was on its um, march forward, and it was it was yeah, it was hard to stop, push pause, and restart. So this is the pause and restart, um, and and many are thinking about okay, so what uh, what does the future look like? What should it look like? Can we rebuild a more robust system? Um, and much of which is driven by profit and the, and the way that the the, um, the restaurant industry works. Um, in essence, it's it's a volume game. There's not a lot of profit to be made. Um, so you've just got to keep tuning things out. So to grow, you've just got to do more. And a lot of businesses have in the past said, right, well, I need more income, so I just work longer hours and my staff work longer hours. Um, whereas people are saying, well, do we need to be getting bigger? Um, can we not be getting smarter in the way we do things? Can we not look after the um, people that uh, that are the life force, the lifeblood of this this system? 
Does it scale? Is it the same questions for the individual operator as it is for the whole industry? Um, You're talking there about yeah. the volume. We've certainly been on a vol- for tourism. We've been on a volume track. Yes, tourism, and it's the same for hospitality, really, that, that because the margins are so small, um, so the only way to, to make more money and become more financially sustainable is just to work longer hours, to open extra days. Um, interestingly, for the last three or four years, there's been kind of a global movement in the fine dining space, the avant-garde Kind of space to to work towards a four day working week, so four days on, three days off, um, and that's seen some really amazing results for people because what what it's meant is that while you might still be doing um, sixty or or even more hours in your four days on, you're coming back refreshed. You you have the opportunity to be creative in your days off. Um, uh, and it's and and it's been about what is enough income rather than constantly growing. So there's even examples of of um, people operating on a four day on three day off kind of approach here in Dunedin, uh, and so certainly around Queenstown. And those businesses have just said, you know, it's the best thing they ever did. But it took. Uh, it, it, it takes guts to do that because most places are operating six or seven days a week, uh, and, and not just not just preparing. On, I'm, I'm thinking of the places like the I've forgotten what it's called, the Friday shop, the places that are only yes. operating to supply the farmers market. Yes, is, is that a you know those thinking differently? Has that proven more robust? Um, yeah, and it's it's interesting. Um, I've been talking with um, Sam Gasson from Moiety, who is one of the people who's been working on the four day a week model here in Dunedin, and he he certainly seems quite comfortable with the situation, um, and is talking about more ways of innovating and exploring different ways of doing business and being more diversified and. All of those things. So I, 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 maybe it's that that Sam and Kim at Moiety uh, were more innovative and more um, agile in the first place, and that's why they ended up in the in the four day work week um, situation. Or it, it, it may be that working that way has allowed them to see things differently. I'm not I'm not sure which which came first. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Hi there. Hi there to you, bubble people, from me, Liesel, the the bubble... um the bubble person here in the downtown part of Dunedin, um, living that urban lifestyle that I've so uh, hankered after, or actually I haven't even hankered after, I, I do live an urban lifestyle, I've just happened to move into the, the space where I can I can just um, access it right away. So yeah, here I am in the city of lovely old Dunedin. Uh, having a great old day. I hope you're having a great old day. I always say that because, you know, I do actually genuinely hope you're having a good day. And while it sort of might sound a bit Pollyanna, a wee bit um, on the 
optimism uh, scale of 25 out of 25 because <laughs> I do like to live my life on the optimism scale of 25 out of 25 uh, yeah I, I just genuinely hope that people are having a good day and uh, yeah sometimes even just hearing someone say that helps you uh, lift your own game or feel like someone's actually really thinking about you and um, it's amazing how those little little things in your day can actually change your day so yeah this is hopefully a game changer if it's not already a fantastic day for you so um I've been thinking about this whole level one situation that we're now in the midst of and how exciting for a start because I don't think I've really said anything about this properly. Um, I've touched on it maybe but yeah, uh, level one, I, I mean for some, <laughs> for quite a long time there, I really didn't think we were going to actually arrive back in a space that feels quite normal. And fingers crossed and, you know, touch all the wood in the apartment that I'm sitting in right now. Yes, um, that it stays like this. I hope that we can maintain this wonderful space that is now COVID-free, supposedly. Mm. But I guess it's also, again, like we've um, sort of had these conversations around it takes adjusting to these whole, you know, changes. It's weird, like, although this level one change doesn't feel as sort of a as much of a jolt I guess as um, the previous levels because now we're sort of in a space where I guess it's very much a known factor we're back in our kind of um, our normal I use the inverted commas um, but I do think that it's still a bit weird and I actually had a wonderful experience um, today because I've headed to the beach and um, checked out just sort of like the waves and the environment and the the wonderful views and I haven't been to the beach for all of lockdown so you know just the simple act of getting on the bus which was lovely and free which was also lovely and just traveling down to the beach with um, other human beings what a delight and uh, and then getting to the you know, space that's not that far from my house, but I haven't been there. And uh, just to see that wonderful view again and um, reconnect with people there and to sit and enjoy a a coffee in the sun, I mean, it was just wonderful. And um, I just think that we've, we've all probably had things that we've missed over lockdown, obviously, and this level one is still revealing these wonderful little moments where it's like, oh, going to the beach. I haven't done this for the whole of level four, three, two. So I'm, I'm in one and I'm experiencing this. So I wonder what kind of things you might be experiencing at the moment that are a bit new for you um, or some lovely things that maybe you're catching up on or you're able to do now. I hope that there's some, there's some good stuff that you're you're enjoying in this in this level one zone and maybe there's um some some particular things you still want to do so I hope that you're ticking those off and um 
yeah, and just noticing these little things that we actually maybe took for granted before, like going to the beach, um, and now actually re-appreciating those things. It's quite a special experience. It's quite a privilege to actually be exposed to that um, gratitude button, I guess, again. (laughs) So I hope you have a wonderful day and take care of yourselves out there. Talk soon. We've seen lots of changes over the last couple of months, societal level changes. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? Mm, crystal ball gazing. That's a, that's a hard one. Um, uh, there's, I've been yeah, listening to quite a, quite a lot of uh, discussion around uh, what might stick and what might not. And I, I think uh, I was listening to a conversation last night um, uh, with some American academics and one of them made a really good point that it, it really depends how long um, these, the situation lasts for of, um, uh, economies or, um, and political systems. Um, the longer it lasts, the more likely it is that there will be lasting change. Um, it's been really interesting to see how quickly things have returned to um, normal, busyness. Um, one of the things I'd hoped would stick is that this obsession with busyness for the sake of busyness uh, would go away, but um, traffic has returned to crazy normal, uh, even in Dunedin, you know, our rush 10 minutes every every day. Is, um, it has returned. Um, so I had hoped that, that that take a breath, slow down, smell the roses might might last a little bit longer and that we might uh, be less obsessed with growth and much more with thriving economies. Um, really, really interested in the donut economics model um, and have been exploring that with postgraduate students over the last few months. And it just makes so much more sense to be operating in that thriving rather than growing uh, kind of mode of of um, operation, but I think if anywhere in the world, if there was a country that could do it, it's New Zealand. But I'm just not hearing that kind of rhetoric from the government at the moment. Do your students get the the balance between the the thriving and growing? Where if you if you're starting up a business, clearly it has to grow. Yeah, in the initial phase. But, but yeah, um, but if we all do that, then it's, we're just back to growing. Yeah, uh, I think it's about intention, though. That when you start out, that you um, you start with what are the systems that have to thrive first for this business to be successful. Um, and to an extent, um, part of a thriving economy and a, thri- a thriving world is um, is a decoupling from the corporate model. Um, so lots of small businesses. Uh, growing out of this situation um, to become part of a thriving community um, with a with a much um, heavier emphasis on local and being embedded in community and being um, responsive and um, uh, providing positive impact and, 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 the, and the natural systems I, I think that's preferable it's preferable to have a lot of small growing businesses and, and communities of practice than having large uh, you know monoliths 
that um, that just their main emphasis is return to um, the shareholders. You know, um, I think uh, so. That, I think that one of the the outcomes of the the pandemic is that a we've shown that we can do it. We can absolutely. make significant changes, and b some of us have been harping on about this this better life, not a lesser mm. life for, for quite a long time, and nobody's believed it. Yeah, that's correct. And, and and it's interesting, you can have conversations with people who you think, oh, they wouldn't have listened to this before. Um, and when you're talking to students, they see it now. <laughs> you know, they go, oh, yeah, so we could do it like that. Whereas before it was, oh, that's, that's nice that someone overseas has written this stuff and you think it'll work here, but it won't really work. But they... There's a there's an awareness now that there are there are other ways of doing things. Um, I mean, I think there's some fundamentals that have to shift at um, at a policy um, level, and I think one of the real the really important things conversations that are being ha- had at the moment are around universal basic incomes, and I think that is um, a key that will. Uh, has the potential to really unlock a new way of doing things. Um, and interestingly, even in the US, um, the conversation I was listening to last night between the, a couple of academics, they were talking about how how important that is in the US. Um, obviously, their system doesn't have too many safety nets. So um, they, they were s- certainly suggesting that a universal basic in- income of some form were, would, would make a massive difference to, yeah, just being able to give, give workers more rights for a start, which is something I hadn't really thought of. But if you've got a universal basic income, a backstop, and the gig economy, you can say, well, I'm not going to take that client. I'm not going to go and work for that person because they treat me like crap. Um, I've got a fallback. I don't need it to live. Um, so, so contracts have to become more desirable. So, so there's some interesting conversations around all of that. Um, and yes, the experiments that have been tried with universal basic income haven't necessarily netted uh, what governments had hoped they would. But I think that's because they were trying to measure the wrong things in a lot of instances. Um, they still focused on productivity as opposed to any um, other measures of well-being and, um, uh, and equity and, and those sorts of things. Let's show our age by, as nearly 50-year-olds, by playing Split Ends I See Red.
Are you optimistic? <laughs> Always. Um, dangerously so, usually. As <laughs> 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 our uh, friend and colleague, Phil Osborne, would, would say, he kept sending me um, those um, uh, infographics on the different biases and he kept highlighting the, the optimism one <laughs> <laughs> and sending it to me. <laughs> Um, uh, look, I, I think in terms of New Zealand, I'm optimistic. In terms of the rest of the world, I'm, it's pretty hard to uh, to get a sense of what it is actually like for everybody else. Um, uh, I uh, would hope that um, some of the, uh, the awareness around uh, the dangers of some of the extreme right-wing uh, approaches to things uh, being um, uh, populations are becoming aware that it's not a very good approach to things and that people will get out and vote when it comes time and that they'll vote um, maybe a little bit more towards the left or um, or in the centre somewhere but um, certainly the extreme populist approaches are being shown up for what they are um, so that kind of gives me hope. If young people get out and vote, that will give me even more hope because I'm acutely aware that even in New Zealand, our young people uh, tend to be, have tended to be quite apathetic when it comes to, to elections and go, oh, well, the system's a system. We can't change it. But so there's a lot of things happening right now that show you can change some things around the place. And as someone has pointed out to us, that this is... Uh, an opportunity for us to point out to politicians that things can change. Yes, look, absolutely. See, look, that, you managed. Was, you managed. You managed to do yeah. it for this, right? Yeah, now let's absolutely. see it for climate change. Yeah, yeah. Now we can't just print money. Oh, look, we just printed lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good for our economy if we print money. Well, in this case, it's not good if you don't. So, um, you know, that at a basic level, there's, there's, you know. Um, Let's rethink accounting systems. Let's rethink um, how tax systems work. How, um, how? Because they're all just things we agree on. Like, you know, why can't we just change the the things we agree upon? It's as simple as that. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we might have a few economists starting to um, think a bit more seriously about um, the the variables that they that they exclude from their modelling. The externalities, they don't like externalities, but um, guess what? <laughs> That's all we're dealing with at the moment. Well, this has shown uh, very clearly the connection between society and the economy. Yes. That in, um, in terms of, you know, you know, I don't like the Venn diagram of sustainability, but it, it um, this has shown very clearly that those two, you, you can't yes. have one without the other. Well, and I if you, if you can... If you consider that the, the, the virus is an environmental effect, you, it's absolutely. shown how integral the whole thing is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, it was an environmental um, issue that um, that sparked it all off. So if people can't see that, then um, then we do. Then I'm not so optimistic, <laughs> but, I, but I think people are seeing that. Um, and also that, that um, 
uh, when things stopped, you could see the you could see blue sky in some places that haven't seen it for decades. Um, but also that um, there's some correlation between heavily polluted industrial um, zones and um, uh, morbidity to do with um, uh, Corona. So that that governments are you know, thinking, well, maybe if we reduce pollution, we might actually not have had too much of a problem from something like COVID. Okay, I have some. I have some questions to end with, and not that much time to get through them. Sorry, so it'll have to be quick. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, that's I. I, I don't know. <laughs> biggest success? You're digging up your garden. Oh, uh, yeah. The, yeah, at the moment, I'm having renovations done, <laughs> but it's not a success. Um, no, pass. Oh. <laughs> so we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. So you're on our mansion of people doing good work. What got you onto? The, what's the superpower that got you onto the team? Superpower. I'm a connector. I, I connect people and ideas. Um, I, I've yeah. For some time, I've considered that kind of um, uh, connecting things is is my superpower. Once upon a time, that was a real insecurity for me because I'm you know I'm the master of nothing. But um, I, I think. Uh, I think that connecting people, connecting communities and connecting them with ideas is um, my superpower. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Hmm. Mm, yes. Yeah, I guess, but in, not, not, not an evangelist. Um, and, and I think some activists confuse the two. What, what motivates you? Uh, people motivate me. Other people, seeing people's success. Um, and that's why I teach, because uh, yeah, I like seeing other people thrive. Um, and yeah, that's yeah, people. So, what challenge are you looking forward to in the next couple of years? <sighs> I'm looking to the challenge that the Rove presents, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, re- the rev- review of vocational education, uh, which is completely left field here. But yeah, th- while all this has been going on, the government has been shifting to a different model of vocational education, which is a term I do not like. But I'm looking to the challenge that that presents. As we all are. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Don't worry, be happy. No, someone else, that's the... Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I connect, connect with community. Um, be... Um, be more comfortable with being local. Long distance mobility is a privilege, not a right. We need to rebuild those small connections locally with others. Thank you very much for joining me. Moira, did you have any last thoughts? Um, totally support what Richard said there, um, that those connections matter so much. We've seen that all through and, and um, long may into the future too. Thank you, Richard. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe to us in all the places where you like doing that. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani and Richard Mitchell in Helensborough. Helensborough. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.